1: So today I'd like you to know that the audience to whom I'm speaking to directly would be those for sure that if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven. How many are positive? Would you raise your hand that if you were to die today, you'd go to hell? Okay. It's been a long time since I've done that, all right? Let's do that again. How many are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? All right. That's, that's the rest of us. Those of you that could not maybe raise your hand on that, I want you to know that you're not on the outside looking through these foggy windows. You're right in here because I want you to know that together, those of us who can raise our hand are going to learn some things to help better connect to you because we love you, God loves you, and we want you to have that same love affair that we have with the Lord and the assurance and the key word is hope that we have in Christ that gives us what we have today. Now, for those of you that are Christians, this may not be new news to you, but for some of you, I don't know that we've allowed it to motivate us enough. For example, that's this. When you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know your sins were forgiven, you have an eternal relationship with Christ, you die, and you go directly to be with God in heaven. So, why in the world are we waiting if heaven is so much better than this earth? Why don't we just go right now? Why doesn't the Lord just take us? We trust Christ, bing, bang, boom, we're out of this world and into heaven. Well there's a lot of reasons. Well first of all in heaven, you know, everything is fellowship up there in heaven. Everything about the Bible, we'll already know that in heaven. In heaven, we'll be so close to the Lord in worshiping him, it'll be like constant prayer we might say in heaven. But there's one thing we'll never be able to do in heaven, and that is to be able to tell the other people in heaven how to go to heaven because they're already there. And so God says, here's the issue. I want you here on planet Earth to be my spokesman. I'm going to come inside of you. I'm going to use your bodies, your personalities, your experiences, and your shape, and all of that. And then what I want you to do is to be a spokesman for me. In fact, what I want you to do is to populate heaven by telling others how to have eternal life. And so today we're talking about making our hope known. Now, if I look back at the very first Christians that are found in the book of Acts, you're going to find some very interesting things about them that would be different than where we are today. That's true. They didn't have cars and air conditionings. They didn't have this nice clothes and buildings like this. They also didn't have gospel tracts. They didn't have motel room Bibles. They didn't have witness wear like T-shirts. They didn't have those particular things like technology from webs and internets and Social communication tools. They didn't have any of that. We have all of that today. And yet when you look at the people in the New Testament as the church was being founded in a time of tremendous persecution, people just didn't laugh at them. They drug them away to persecute and kill those people who spoke for them. And what's so interesting is that people were not getting saved or becoming Christians in those days every week. They were coming, becoming Christians every single day. So then I got thinking, what makes it so different? And by the way, let me just let you know, I'm not against those of you that want to wear a T-shirt or maybe a bumper sticker on your car. I remember when I went to Florida Bible College, we had to go over the intercoastal waterway. We went to school and you had to go up over this bridge and then it would be a drawbridge. And I remember one time there was a guy in front of me when the drawbridge gates went down and you had to wait for the drawbridge to go up and then they'd let you go across. On his back bumper was a bumper sticker that said honk if you love Jesus. How many have ever seen a bumper sticker like that? Would you raise your hand? Honk if you love Jesus. Nothing really wrong with that, except for whatever reason, the guy in front of me with that bumper sticker, his car started to roll down the hill into my car. So what do you do? You honk, and I honk, and he waved at me, and I'm honking some more, so he waved even more wildly. (laughs) Well, again, I'm not against all that stuff you might use out there. But on the other hand, my question is, is it possible that what we're doing is leaning too heavily upon the marketing things that are out there and not enough on what the New Testament Christians did. So now the question is, what did they do? Well, first of all, who were they? These were Christians who knew their sins were forgiven, were passionately in love with the Lord. They had that instant intimacy with Him because of what God did in their life through Christ. And then they were filled with the power of God through the Holy Spirit. We know that from Acts. And then now, how did they connect to their community? Here's what they did. I believe they just simply share their testimony of what Christ means to them. Their sins are forgiven. They have a home and a hope in heaven forever and ever. Just kind of a casual way to share that hope with other people. And you know, that's not that difficult to do. You that raised your hands a moment ago when I asked you how many know for sure you're going to heaven, I trust you know because Jesus saved you you knew probably about where you were, what happened the moment you trusted Christ, and the biggest question is, is what difference in your life has it made since you've become a Christian? And whatever that difference is, you can share that with another person in a very simple way. Some of you that are in business, you might be thinking about, how do I sell better? Last night, and those of you that have been by our house Our home is located on a part of the island with the houses that are next to us. We could literally shake hands with our neighbors. In fact, we can even hear them Okay, pull the chain in the commode. So I'm going to bed last night and I'm listening to my neighbor speak outside to his son giving him salesman techniques. I was reading a biography. It was so good what this guy was saying. I closed the book and I was listening to him tell his son how to do this. And at the very end of it, I wanted to give him the point of my message, and that is simply this. The best salesman is a satisfied customer. So let me ask you this question. How many of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are so glad that you don't want to give up your salvation and go to hell? How many of you are so satisfied that you are saved? Would you raise your hand? You are a satisfied customer. Why are you so satisfied with that? You don't have to answer that here. But you ought to answer it with the people with whom you come in contact with. We're a satisfied customer. So today I want to talk about making your hope known. There's really only four points from this passage, and if you remember these four, I think they can also be looked upon in maybe a progression, so it might help you as one truth builds upon another truth upon another truth. It's not difficult, and if you put these into your life, I really believe that your evangelism techniques and style, your passion, and your effectiveness might increase. So let's look at number one, shall we? Number one, keep your hope properly focused. Again, I'm speaking to those that have their hope, their assurance of going to heaven when they die. So you need to keep your hope properly focused. Let me read to you the verse I have there for you in your worship program. It says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Well, you couldn't get a better focus than that than to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you really honor Him, then it'll be properly focused upon the Lord. And so if it's properly focused upon the Lord, He's holy. Then it goes on to say, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now there's a term that I use and I probably will still use this term and it's called sharing your faith. How many of you have ever either heard that or said that phrase to someone? All right, I'm going to share my faith. There's really nothing wrong with that but sometimes when I think about sharing my faith I'm really looking backwards. I'm looking backwards, you know. God created the heavens and the earth, bing, bang, boom so I believe God did this so I'm sharing my faith in God but that happened in the past I believe that Jesus Christ is God he died on the cross rose again from the dead and that by faith alone in him I can have eternal life that happened two thousand years ago when he did all of that and for me it happened about 45 years ago when I trusted Christ I'm sharing my faith but that happens in the past nothing wrong with that but on the other hand we talk about sharing our hope I think in terms of looking forward to our hope So what I want to share my hope, it's not like I hope, I hope I make it to heaven, maybe I'll find out when I get there if I did more good works and bad works, none of that's in the Bible. When I share my hope, I'm sharing my anticipation of joy that this is what's going to happen, I am so excited about this. I love to watch our keiki when mom and dad are going to go to the mainland and they're going to take those kids to some place like maybe Disney World or maybe one of those other fancy parks that they have over there. And you talk to the kids, what are you doing? You go into the mainland. They don't say, yeah, I'm going to the mainland. You know what they say? I'm going to Disneyland. You know, and they're so excited about going to these different parks. They're not thinking about, hey, the beach was really good last week. That's important. We have our beaches but they're looking forward to that future hope that they have. And you know, the world is a lot like that with us as well. We also look at the world, and everybody wants to have hope. I wouldn't be surprised, those of you that are listening on the radio, some of you, your hope right now is that our economy will turn around. Especially over this last week, those of you that have been counting on your retirement investments that you have. And some of you might be hoping that you get a good report from the doctor. And some of you might be hoping that your kids turn out right. And some of you are hoping that you might have the right mate sometime. You might marry Mr. Wright or Miss Wright. And there's nothing really wrong with that, but think with me for a moment. All of those hopes that you have in those things are generally dependent upon the control of other things or other people. And the hope that we have as Christians, our hope is found in God. And so I'd like to give you a little definition of hope that works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. It goes like this. Hope is an optimistic outlook based on powerful promises. Hope is an optimistic uh, outlook based on powerful promises. Now, really, you can see two different views in here. You can have a secular worldview. They could really own the first part of that. That's being that uh, optimistic outlook a lot of them are optimistic outlook all you've got to do is get one little indicator and all of a sudden the stock market will go up you get one little negative indicator and the stock market goes down so if they have an op, uh, 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 optimistic outlook then man things they start feeling better that's what the world does we don't look at it that way because Christians the, the Christian worldview goes to the other side of it which basically says that ours is built upon powerful promises my hope is built upon the Lord who says he cannot lie And so when I trust in Him, I don't have to worry about Him backing down, backing away. I know that it's absolutely truth in my life. So for me to be properly focused, then I want to be focused upon the Lord. He said He would come, He came. He said He'd pay for sin, and He did. He said that by faith alone in Him, I could have eternal life, I have eternal life. It's founded upon a book that has no heir. So for us, before we can make our hope known, we have to have that hope. So, briefly but most important to those of you that are at the beginning end of your journey looking for God. Before you could ever make a hope known, you have to have that hope. And so my question to you is, do you believe that the Bible is God's mind on paper? And do you believe in His Bible that He revealed, written fashion, that Jesus Christ is God and that He died on the cross and that He rose again from the dead? Are you willing enough to admit that you're a sinner and no good deed you do yourself will ever get you into heaven? Would you admit that because you're a sinner, you're separated from God forever? And now the only thing you actually do to go to heaven is to go to the Lord and simply place your faith in Him. Now once you do that, now you have the hope of going to heaven because God says through Christ that He cannot lie. And if you believe on Him, you have that hope from a God who cannot lie. He said you have eternal life when you believe. You believe, you have eternal life. You now have the hope. Now you're ready to make it known. Now that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets a little bit nerve-wracking because man, I want to make it known but now I'm really scared. Some of you in this room here, I'm talking about making it known and being strong and making it known. Some of you, um, that's so foreign to you because somewhere along the line you have been fed a partial truth and here's the partial truth. I was too. And sometimes if if I'm not careful I could lean on this partial truth because it sounds so safe. Are you ready to hear the partial truth? Here's the partial truth. That as a Christian, you need to live a separated life, walking in a clean lifestyle before him, separated from the evils and the sin of the world. Now you might say, is that a partial truth? It is in the area of evangelism. Because some people will say, okay, I won't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls or do. I'll do all the right things. So therefore, I am a witness. And all of a sudden, that partial truth is a partial truth because it ends right there. Now it's not a wrong truth, I just said it was a partial truth. Because some of us just think, as long as I live a separated life, occasionally carry the Bible, speak out for the Lord in a group of other Christians when they speak out about the Lord, and maybe answer some questions if I'm asked about it, that's a partial truth. The whole truth is, we do need to live that life of separation, the fullness of God, where He is really changing us to become more like Christ. But also we need to have a verbal witness Well we take that separated life but now we actually engage the community in some measure whether we begin a conversation on secular issues then we move it to a spiritual conversation and then we end it with a salvation conversation but we have to take it to the next level are you all tracking with me so far I just would like to tell you I am not your judge but I will assume that some of you have bought that partial truth and you've stopped right there, and Satan loves it. He doesn't have a problem with you living a good life. In fact, it even could feed your ego, because sometimes when you live such a good life, people are going to say, my, what a kind person, what a gentle person, what an honest person, and that makes us feel pretty good. Sometimes it'll even get us a better mate. It might even get us a promotion. And so that kind of feeds us. But in the sense, who would ever know that our changed life is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us? And what good is all of that if we have this great life and we never use it to engage our culture in a loving, gracious way to communicate the gospel to them? So the whole truth is we do this. The other side of this is is a person who goes up to other people that are lost and just yells the gospel in their face but they live almost like the devil. They lie, cheat, steal, laugh at dirty jokes, don't live a life of holiness and separation, and yet they're trying to tell people about Christ. And those are the ones, often, that are picked up and magnified in the world to denigrate Christianity. So with that in mind, let's go to number two. We need to have reasons that are adequately prepared, so that now when you begin to engage the community, and some of you might be a little fearful because you're afraid they're going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to. You're afraid that they're going to tie you up in some philosophical knot and leave you there, and now all of a sudden, you might even fear that you'll question your own faith. I know that can happen that happened to me especially when I was entering into Christianity and I started as a baby Christian I was a little bit fearful especially when they were asking me some questions. Some of you might be so afraid of the questions they might ask you like how can those millions and billions of animals fit on that itsy bitsy teeny weeny ark? Well first of all it wasn't an itsy bitsy teeny weeny ark and it wasn't millions and billions of animals. And then some of you might be afraid because they might ask you a question did Adam have a belly button because he didn't have a mother? And so you're so worried about, well, did he or didn't he? I don't know. And so you're afraid to engage the culture about questions that are so minute. I guess now, as a Christian, I still struggle with this. I want you to know, I'm not that spiritual, believe me. I hate to tell you that. But when I get on the airplane and Carol's next to me and there's an empty seat, I'm just kind of almost praying. Sometimes I think I do pray. Someone won't sit next to me. All right. How many know what I mean? Raise your hand. (laughs) All right. Let's go back to this but on the other hand here's what I have found those times that I have engaged the culture about the simple plan of salvation what Jesus Christ means to me and why when I've done that you know that I find that all the questions that I'm asked probably can be reduced to a top 10 and if you just know 10 answers to the top 10 those are the ones you're gonna be most asked and those are usually the easiest to answer you wanna know what are they how could I find the answer well there's a couple things you can do number one take some of our connection group classes they're great On defending your faith. Or maybe see me afterwards and I'll send you some emails and information about that. But I'm going to go back to this verse, will you? Let's look at the last part of verse 15. It says, always being prepared. Would you circle the word, always? That doesn't leave things out. Always being prepared. To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So what happens when somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to? Well, you could do what I do. I just simply make an answer up. Let's go on. No, I'm joking. I do not make an answer up. If they ask me a question I don't know the answer to, it's very simple. I'll say, that's a very good question and I really mean it. And so then I ask them, could I write that down? And I'll write it down. I'll get their phone number and name if they'll let me have that, or their email address. And then I will tell them, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll research it for you and I'll get back to you. Well, first of all, he, I may have been in that person's life the very first honest Christian that they've ever met because I was willing to say, I didn't know. It also has opened up a door for me to have not one, but two, maybe three more conversations with him already opened up on spiritual and salvation aspects. And then finally, when he asked me that question, if I don't know the answer to it, I'm going to learn something when I have to look it up to find that answer. Are you with me? And I would like to tell you too, if you get into that jam, search it out yourself. But if you can't come up with that answer, Truly, call Pastor Charlie about 2 o'clock in the morning. He's usually home then. No, no, I'm joking. But what you just call us, we'll be glad to go on this journey with you and then give him that answer back. But then I don't leave him. Some of you say, well, then that's the end of your conversation. I, I, no, no, here's what I'll do then. It's real simple. It's not magical. It's not mystical, but it's powerful. It goes like this You know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know the answer to this question how you can be sure of going to heaven no matter what. And that's what I want to tell you. How do you know for sure? place your faith alone in Jesus Christ. And here's the Bible verse that says this, and this verse says you can know you have eternal life. I do know that. You'd be amazed at how many times you can redirect right into that one point right there, and you get them right back on the gospel again. Now remember, some of you have to have that hope before you can make that hope known. In addition to that, go back to the verse that says, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Not the reason of the hope that's in me or the next person next to you or the person in front of you, but the reason for your hope. So look up here, if you will, for a moment. What is the real reason you're trusting in Christ as your Savior? Again, there's probably 10 overall reasons, some more than others, but what is the reason? So you don't have to have a razzle-dazzle bit of apologetics to have all of that. Yes, it'll help to have some answers, and especially when they probe a little bit deeper, but the bottom line is, you believe, don't you? Why are you resting your eternal destiny in Christ? Do you have that hope? And I really pray that you do, so it's whatever your reason is. And I love that about that verse because it's not that hard. Now I'm going to give you two general areas, and I'd like you to write these down. And I want you to really track with me for a moment. This will not take long, but I'm going to help you on something, especially for you Christians that really want to go further in your walk with God and making your hope known. There's two general areas that you're going to use in your reasoning power. The first one one, is to have objective reasons. So you put the word objective in there. You need to have objective reasons. I am now going to give you four objective reasons. They're very simple. You see them already written down. But now here's where I'd like you to really listen. Those of you that are computer savvy if you use something like a Word document you could set up in your filing system on your computer you can set up a section that might say defense of the faith and you might also say objective reasons and then establish four separate file folders and then throughout the rest of your career as a Christian I use the word career in quotes your life as a Christian as you come across facts in Scripture and outside objectively that fit that particular trait of objective reasoning you add that information into that file and I'm gonna tell you you'll be amazed whether you read the newspaper, outside sources, science sources, internet issues, websites, things that come along, special speakers that we bring in, you're gonna get information that will immediately begin to fill up every one of those files in these areas let's look at them, circle number one literarily superior. The Bible is literarily superior. If this was a joke, if this was such a sham, it would have been put down years, decades, centuries ago. And we wouldn't have it today. Why would people still believe a book that's not true? It outsells all the other books. New York Times won't even put it on their top ten bookseller list because it's always number one, so they had to remove it. This is the most translated piece of literature anywhere. It is the one that people hang their entire life and lifestyle on. It's literally superior to anything else that was written by man. Number two, it's historically accurate. Some of you might know of the study called archaeology. You know what archaeology It's the study of ancient things. One girl decided that she wanted to go into archaeology so she could dig up a man. I'm sorry, Carol wanted me to say that. But anyway... But archaeology actually began when they began to look at Scripture and find some historical settings of locations that were found in the Bible and they wanted to disprove that. And so now they began to dig around and look at the stuff. A lot of it began happening late 1700s, picked up steam in the 1800s and all that archaeology has done is continue to prove the historicity of Scripture and just in the study of archaeology alone and there's other studies as well. Number three is scientific accuracy. No kids, this book will not tell you how to dissect a frog. But this Bible right here, when it touches on science, it is always accurate. Anytime that it has been challenged, it has always one, including the court system, when it was challenged on a scientific statement found in the Bible. I don't have time to go through those right now. Check with us, we'll give you those later if you'd like. And then prophetically accurate. That there were things that were said about nations and countries, even names of people that were named in a time as it was written, hundreds, thousands of years before it actually happened. Just the name of Christ as well. And so we see things that were said in the Old Testament that came true in the New Testament and there was no way you could match it up because the writers and the ones that are actually writing Scripture not copying it down. They didn't even know each other what they were doing and copying it down. So again, you have what I call objective reason. Now here's what's important. Look at your list. There's one, two, three, four. You weight your argument on your reasons for your faith more in the objective part than in the subjective because there's only one. But there is the four. But there is only one in the subjective. So yeah, it would be good for you to know those four. But don't discount the second area, and that is subjective reasons. Subjective reasons. Sometimes this is the one you can argue the most passionately about, and it's the one that sometimes actually takes the person across the line into faith in Christ. And what I mean by subjective reasoning is simply this. I might not be able to give you all the little facts about archaeology and all the different tells and all the different mounds and all the different cities. I might not be able to give you all the prophecies, chapter and verse. I certainly may not be able to give you all the science, but I can tell you this. Listen, 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 listen. Jesus Christ, this word, works in my life. You can take all the rest of the stuff away, but you'll never take away the faith I have in Jesus Christ. Answers to prayer. Peace. Absolute guilt. Watch this. I don't know, this is a man thing, I think, but how many times I've lost my keys I've had extra sets made just so when I do, so I don't have to tell Carol. So I, 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 but when I find my keys, you know what's so interesting? Is I don't keep looking any longer. Did you hear what I just said? When you lose something, you can't find it. When you find it, you don't look any longer. I remember as a 16 year old kid growing up, I was looking, how do I get to heaven? What do I need to do? Fearful of death. And finally I cried out, oh God, whatever it is, show me how I can go to heaven when I die. Not a month later, that prayer was answered. I trusted Christ as my Savior. The fear factor was gone. The guilt was gone. A whole new life with Christ began.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.